Bible, please turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 1 to begin tonight. Uh, I have no acquaintance with you other than we are both adopted into the same family by the blood of Jesus and so thankful to meet my family here tonight. And as we get into this, uh, this time together this evening, we are living in some Daniel days. And as Daniel days would have it, uh, we have not been taken captivity into another land, but the enemy has just crept in right underneath our noses. And uh, we are all guilty of allowing him in just as much as the world around us has invited him in. And as we would understand that the enemy has come in, he's not after you and I perhaps so much tonight as he is after our children. And having 12 of our young people with us is an exciting thing to me after being uh, bivocational for eight years. It's been a hard, time, hard thing for me to get away and do missions trips and youth uh, as youth pastor, janitor, maintenance, and everything else at our church. My children in our church is the heartbeat of our church because if our children don't grow up in the faith that we have, then our church will have no future. And so as we, we look at this Daniel day that we're living in tonight, uh, I'd like to remind you that Paul said to the church in Colossians uh, that if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. It, it has to start with us. We must lead an example, and we can, of course, lead our children to water, but we can't make them drink. Uh, as Daniel had a great revival through the work of God in his life in Daniel chapter 6, and the king, the king decreed that everyone worship Daniel's God. Uh, Brother Petrako is sharing with us that in the Philippines that the, there is a month of Bible celebration in the Philippines as they take a month where they're reading it publicly. They're reading it in the schools. People have Bibles. That declaration is wonderful. But if my people, which are called by my name, we have a responsibility first and foremost. And so I'd like to ask you to look with me here at Daniel chapter 1 for just a few moments. And then I want to hopefully go from this challenge of the day that we're living in to some encouragement and hope, I believe, that we can find for our future. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 1 and in verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It is God who has allowed and delivered us into this day that we are living in. And it is because of the sin of our nation. It is because of the silence, I believe, of our churches. It is because of the subtle sinfulness that has crept into our own homes. And we have let all of this go on without thinking there would be any repercussions. But here we are. In a very Babylon day. And as we see this Lord, the Lord gave, we find that he says in the part of uh, not just the people, but part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Asphenes, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the seed of the king's seed, and of the princes, children, 
in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science such, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. They're not just looking to convert our children. They're looking to use our children for their purposes. And it's happening all over our country. This is happening with the, an agenda that the king set forth here. He had a plan from the very beginning. We find in verse number five that there was going to be a three-year plan to this agenda. And as they begin this three-year year plan, you can go from chapter one all the way to chapter six. And we get to three kings later that these young men, these princes, these children have been in Babylon. And yet there's an incredible testimony of faith that they continue to stand in Babylon faithful to God because their God was in their hearts. Their God was true to them. This was not just the God of my father. This was not just the God of my church. This was not just one nation under God. It was personal to them. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, friends, if we don't have God personally in our lives and we try to instruct our children that this, is, this ought to be for them, their personal relationship with God, why should they follow our leadership of instruction if they can't find our leadership of example? And as we find these young people had an agenda that they were in the crosshairs of a wicked king. We have a crosshair on our children tonight that is incredible like I have never even imagined. I mean, I've been in Utah for 20 years and I cannot believe the things that are happening today. I would have never dreamed that this would be the nation I live in. And I've been pretty ignorant of news and government and things in the world. I've just enjoyed living for the Lord, loving my family, enjoying church. And all of a sudden, this evil head has raised up under my nose. Where have we been? Babylon has crept in. And as Babylon has crept in, this is a sin of Babylon, I believe, that we find is actually very relevant in our culture today. And the evil of this, this God, they had these young people brought with the intent of having them stand before the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. It is no longer politically correct to say this that or the other. I've already had warnings in our church of some things from our people. Pastor, you ought not say those things. We might have some uh, repercussions. And I, I think, okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be kind, but I don't want to be dishonest. I don't want to uh, tiptoe around these issues that are very plain in God's word. I had, I've had young people, while well, we preached at camp for two weeks, just a couple of weeks ago in California, young people whose, whose minds were so confused in some question and answer we had, asking, is it okay for a girl to love a girl and to marry a girl? And I said, listen, you know what? There's some things that God's word teaches us. Let's talk about this very plainly. God has invented love because he is love. And there's nothing wrong with uh, an agape love amongst the people of God. Men and women and the family of God and uh, amongst humanity, we can express a, a phileo love. We can have a, a brother and sister neighborly love. But when it comes to loving the way you're talking about, the world is perverting and twisting the very plan of God. It's a, it is an agenda to squelch the society of conservatism, growing 
growing in our country by two women being together, they can't have children. Two men being together, they can't have children. We're going to stop a conservative society growth. It is Planned Parenthood. Think of it that way. It's not just love who you want to love. No, it's a control of population. And our children are saying, Pastor, you need to be more uh, accepting. You need to be more uh, 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 friendly to these people. I love those who are in this world all around me, but I don't expect the world around me to, to walk and act and talk like I do. They're going to walk like they do because they're lost and without Christ. I need to be salt and light. I know I don't need to look like them to reach them. I don't need to talk like them to reach them. I don't need to do those things, but we need to be salt and light and have compassion making a difference. I can't understand when I look into the boys that are are mentioned here, what kind of integrity and character that they must have had to stand on their own two feet without their preacher there, without their parents there, without anyone else there to stand faithful for God. While the tongue was brought into their language and they were able to learn, their dress and their regalia were all changed. The practices of societal living were all changed, yet they never got God out of them. They remained faithful to God, but they changed their names. I asked our teenagers just recently here, have you got a street name? You know, you got a, a street name where the people call you, hey, hey, bro, you know, whatever that name might be. Like, you know, hey, skinny, whatever your name might be. They have these nicknames that we give each other. There's a street name that the world wants to give to those who are in our culture. And it's fun and it's cool and it's all right. But it's to forget that which we are in Christ. My name is Christian first and foremost. My name is not Stephen. My name is Christian. And those names that we have are all to reflect Jesus Christ. And they have that understanding as they bring these young, impressionable young people into their kingdom. And these, these that are brought in, in verse number five, the king appointed them daily provision of the king's meat. Sounds like a good government plan. We're going to feed you. We're going to clothe you. We're going to educate you. We're going to do everything that you need. And you're going to be the best and the brightest to serve in my kingdom. And as they have this agenda that is very plainly laid out, it's a three-year plan, nourishing them for three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are all Hebrew names that have biblical meaning, God-fearing meaning. And as their names are changed, in verse number 7, these names carry pagan inferences. Daniel, Bel, from Belu, or Baal, or Zeus, depending on which region of the country and the globe at that time, this is the, the kingpin god of paganism in the world. We find not only is Daniel changed to Belteshazzar, this bell name, but Hananiah to Shadrach, speaking of the sun god. We worship the earth today. Save the planet, hug a tree, free the whales, and all these different things. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not for polluting the planet. I'm not looking to try to leave the biggest carbon footprint I possibly can. I'm not about that, but I'm not about trying to save something that is all in God's hand already. 
I'm not going to try to see and challenge him and see if he can really do it with all the waste I can create. I'm good for conserving things. We need to conserve the church. We need to conserve, conserve and preserve the preaching and teaching and instruction of God's word. We need to conserve the home. But we're running to hug trees and everything else and forgetting about our families and our homes and the church today. Shadrach and to Mishael, Mishael, this is the God of, uh, of um, what was the word? I had to think of it because I don't have the note in front of me. It is basically um, sexuality. Venus, that's her name. The goddess of Venus. It is all about sexuality in our society today. Because sex sells. Excuse me for being so very plain with my language. I hope you'll forgive me. And if you don't forgive me, I, I hope you'll forgive me eventually. I don't want to tiptoe around this issue, but it is being presented without any shame or any reservation whatsoever. And then we see our children coming and say, Mommy, Daddy, is it okay for me to dress like this? Is it okay for me to uh, look like this? Is it okay for me to watch this and do these things? It's coming right into our homes. And we're having to have these conversations with our own children. This is the name that he was wanting to be changed to, to the last young man and to Azariah Abednego. This is the God of education. Uh, I can't remember his name either in the, the, the native uh, translation of his name, but education. Boy, education, education, education. And I, I'm all for education. I think we should be educated people. We should have some intellect, you know. I think that that is important. But when it becomes precedent over our relationship with God, I'll get to God, but I've got to finish my schoolwork. I've got to get my education. I had a man who not too long ago had the call of God in his life at 15 years of age. And at 16, he was married to his high school sweetheart with parental permission. And he had a, a call of God to serve God. And when he went to uh, propose and pursue this future with this young lady, he says, listen, I believe God has called me to preach. And she says, not my man. No, sir, not my man. My man's going to make money. And he says, okay, well, I, I kind of like you, so I'll consider that. And he did consider that for over 60 years of his life. And had continued to make really good money while under the conviction for his entire life for running from the call of God on his heart and his life. He, he left the education of Following the instruction of teaching God's word, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you stand in the way, when you sit with your children, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, hang it as frontlets between their, thine eyes, on thy hands, on the wall, on the gate, on, on thy doorpost, always before you. Money, 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 money. That's what education is all about. It's not just about being smarter. It's about having more. Mr. Build Bigger Barns. That's what it's about. That's so I can have all the storage I need for everything I want. These three things almost 2,500 years ago were the agenda of the Babylonian king to take these young men and pull them out of Israel and slowly over three years pull God out of their hearts and replace God with Babylonianism. As that is that agenda then and there, it is still the agenda here and now. Absolutely, 100%.
We were talking on our way here to church tonight, and I encouraged uh, the giggling boys I had in the back of our van. I said, listen, we need to get our hearts ready for church. Stop giggling. <laughs> and then I said, let's talk about some, some things that God is teaching you. What have you learned this week? What has your heart been stirred up about? And they began to discuss in the back, and as we were discussing up in the front, uh, our conversation led to some things in my own heart, in my life, that I can see I need to adjust where this becomes more paramount even in my own life. And I'm on the missions trip and I need to do this. If I need that, what do we need tonight? As we see this Babylonian day and three kings later, you know what was amazing? I don't know the timeline. I didn't study this deep onto this part of the timeline, but in chapter number six, do you know that Daniel is now called Daniel instead of Belteshazzar? They kind of let the Babylonian name slip and it would go back to good old Dan. And as they go back to good old Dan in verse number three of chapter number six, this Daniel was preferred by the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. He had God so good in his heart. All of these kings later, all of these trials and troubles later, and all of these changes in his life of loss and, and influence he has such a great relationship with God that they find in verse 3, he has an excellent spirit. What do you know about this Belteshazzar? Who's that? Daniel. Oh, Daniel. We know Daniel. We don't know no Belteshazzar. He has an excellent spirit. What would your testimony be in community tonight? What would your coworkers say about you and me? What would the gas stations where I've been filling up at and the restaurants me and my youth group have been eating at. What would they say about Steve Martins and that group of Utah teenagers? Would they say there's an excellent spirit there? In verse number four, after he see, they see this excellent spirit, it says, Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. I know what's wrong with him. He's faithful to his God. And then they had the light bulb go on like, ah, that's what we'll use against him. We'll use his religion. Listen, we have sometimes a very proud peacock mentality about boasting about our Christianity. I'm a Baptist. I use this Bible. I go to that church. This is my pastor. And they say, okay, we're taking notes. Now we're watching you like a hawk. And we're going to use your faithfulness to find fault in you. Be careful of the bragamony, and may come back to bite. This is the danger that we're living in. Our children are growing up, and you and I will be gone. And these young people that I have with me and those that were sitting in the back, they'll be sitting in our place, perhaps. That is if they come back. That is if they stay with the stuff. That is if they have a Daniel heart for God, an excellent spirit, a faithfulness that is their fault. And as they have this fault, they set the snare. We know the story. I won't read the whole story. I'm impressed, though, with the king's faith. And I want to look at this by his influence in this Daniel day that we're living in. Look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse number um, 14. This is after they set the bait to not just ensnare Daniel, but it is also a snare for the king. Because the, Daniel and the king had a good relationship, even though he's new on the job since chapter 5. 
He's not been here too long, at least from the chapter to chapter, it doesn't seem. He's already near and dear to Daniel's heart and vice versa. And the king, when he heard these words that Daniel was going to be thrown into the lion's den, right? You remember that? He was sore displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Do your unsaved friends, neighbors, coworkers love you so much because of your faith in God that they would stay up till the sunset to do all they possibly could to free you from whatever oppression is coming against you? I mean, that's the influence that Daniel had after how many kings that he still has this testimony and excellent spirit. The king's haste to reconcile. And as he has this haste to reconcile, the king was, or these, then these men assembled unto the king and said that the king now, or know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Remember? They're kind of tying them up here, aren't they? Now the, the snare has not just trapped Daniel, it has also trapped the king. And the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Y'all notice who said that? Wasn't Daniel, wasn't Shadrach, it wasn't Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Who was it? King Darius, the Babylonian. I believe in your God, Daniel. We see the king's heart before Daniel's God. Man alive, would to God that our culture and our community see God like that in us. You see, our life is a manifestation of what we truly believe about God. Do you get that? Our life is a manifestation of what we truly believe about God. I have failed this week and had to apologize to my teenagers and said, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I scolded you a little too hard or I... I, I acted up or I did this or I did that. I led you guys into this trap and we all got you know, messed up together, whatever the apologies were for, because I saw my own faults were a testimony of, of foolishness before my children. Don't worry, we didn't go, you know, we didn't toilet paper the pastor's house or anything like that. <laughs> but those moments where we realized there's flesh creeping up yeah. and all of a sudden faithfulness just took the back seat and that flesh creeps up a little more. And the excellent spirit, there's no excellent spirit, believe me, right now. This is the spirit of something else. We go to apologize and the world sees that and says, man, there's something different about you. They begin to believe in a God that they don't even believe in. And as he says this about Daniel's God, notice what he says, thy God whom thou servest. He doesn't say my God who I serve. He says thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Is that our testimony here? I wish Brother Petraco shared with us already on Sunday while we were driving uh, through our, our, all the, the journey here, what a night y'all had here. I wish I could have been here. Then somebody says, it's online. You can go and see it. I'm going to go watch it. I can't wait. You might need to replay it. You might need to go revisit it again and say, come on, Lord, let's stand together in a circle and say, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. 
As we have that heart, we might find that there's some folks out there who might say, hey, you're God. I think your God can do this. Did you hear what he's thinking about and thinking about in his prayerfulness or encouragement to Daniel? Your God can deliver you from what? A lion's den. Well, a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed, or I'm sorry, changed concerning Daniel. In verse number 18, then the king went to the pal- his palace, and he passed the night fasting. Miss Jessica and I were talking about that fasting and prayer this week, and some of our driving around with the young people. Fasting. This is the Babylonian king fasting. Neither there were, were there instruments of music brought before him. He might have said, no women, no food, no music, no nothing. I just need to get alone. When's the last time we did that? We might have needed to schedule that time since Sunday where our hearts were so stirred that we didn't even know that time passed by. We might say, God, I need some of that. It's a time for fasting. It's a time for separating ourselves unto God and saying, I'm not going to just say I need that. Sounds like a great testimony. How about we do something about it? How about we get alone with God? This is the king's act of faith by prayer and fasting. No instruments of music brought before him and his slept went from he did not sleep. Sometimes it's hard for us to stay awake for just a little while. We have those songs You know, just a little talk with Jesus. That's about the most of our prayer life most of the time. Just a little talk with Jesus. And we've slipped away from sweet hour of prayer. You think about an hour? I mean, praying for an hour? Is that hard to do? We start doing, and, oh, pray for Brother Mike again. He really needs it, Lord. Oh, I guess pray for his wife as well again. Lord, I know I mentioned them three times already now. We, we have a hard time praying for more than just a sweet moment. Why? It's because we have no problem doing a whole lot of other things for a whole lot more time. What kind of things? Babylonian things. I'm talking to myself. I confess this thing, these things. I love my San Diego Padres. And I'm like, come on, Dodgers, lose. I saw that Cubs shirt back there, and I'm not so sure about the Cubs either. <laughs> these Cubs, these Dodgers, these Giants, come on, what's up with these guys? Come on, Friars. I'm spending too much time keeping up with the Padres. For those of you who are more spiritual than I am, that's the San Diego Padre baseball team in California. <laughs> You're like, oh, we were talking to talk about something in a, a Catholic Bible, a Friar, a Padre. Padre. <laughs> <laughs> There's my confession for you, okay? As he prayed and he fasted, when we pray and fast, do you really expect God to do anything about it? Listen, he prayed and fasted. This is a Babylonian king, not his preacher, not his parent, not his youth pastor. And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste under the den of lions. Why in tarnation would he do that? I'm serious. Why, why would a pagan king run to the den of lions when you threw a man in there for lunch? What would be the point? His own remorse? 
to weep and wail and gnash his teeth there at the, at the door and, and beg God somehow to forgive him for the horrible act that he did. But he goes, that's not, that's not why at all, but by the way. He goes very early in the morning, went to the haste in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? And he's kind of doing this, hoping for something. I don't know about you, but my mathematics say that there'd be nothing but a few shreds of clothing perhaps and blood droplets on the ground that had not yet been licked up by those lines in a normal scenario. But he has the courage and the faith to cry out, Daniel, what faith? Hey, what a revival time Sunday night. And then we said, we need that here. Why not pray for it? Why not fast for it? Why not follow in a pagan king's footsteps for it? If he can pray this way and have this kind of faith, boy, shame on me. And the, then said Daniel, I love this. Listen to his words in verse number 21. O king, live forever. Loyal to the, to the king. Proper respect for the authority that God had put over his life. God delivered them into this Babylonian captivity for the sin of Israel. And he knew while I'm here, this is my authority. I'm going to respect my authority. But when he says bow down to an image, when he says pray to this king, I'm not going to cross those lines, but I'll honor you, king. I'll respect you, king. You are my authority in my life. You and I may not like our authorities in our life today, but we are called by God's word to honor them. And pray for them and be salt and light so that when we get into trouble, they might see us faithful and of a good, excellent spirit and say, I'm going to pray for those Christians over there who've been so faithful and good and loyal to me as their leadership. Boy, what would happen in our presidency, in our government, in our Congress, in our Senate, in our mayoral offices if they saw Christians live like Daniels before them? My, my. Verse number 20, 22, after he gives reverence and loyalty to the king, he says, my God, remember what the king said, thy God, he said it twice in these previous verses, now Daniel says, my God, he gives honor and praise, he didn't say, you know what, I knew about this king named David, uh, Darius, you might have heard about him, he slew a lion, he slew a bear, he slew Goliath, these pussycats were nothing. He could have said that. He could have had a bragamony and said, these cats are under my leadership now. You want a circus? We can have Barnum and Bailey come to Babylon. Let's have a good time. He could have had a real good time, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't give himself credit. He didn't say, remember when they said I'm faithful? Remember when they said I'm an excellent spirit? He says, my God has sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, that's my God, innocency was found in me. In other words, if God would have found I deserved it, I'd be mincemeat. I'd have been lunch. And then he says, not just innocency before him, but also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. As we know the rest of this 
story, those who set the snare for Daniel and the king did not realize, did not think very far in advance about the greatness of, their, of Daniel's God and all that God had done through so many amazing events in just six chapters that we read about. They set the snare for themselves and they all become lunch. Do you all notice in this passage that the Bible tells us there that those people, when they were all cast in there, that they didn't even hit the floor? It wasn't that these lions had a hard time finding Daniel. It was because God was working supernatural. God can still work supernaturally today. It's not too late. It's not too late. We are, we are maybe setting some expectations that are a bit unrealistic. We're setting some expectations that are maybe outside of God's will and more aligned to our will. Maybe the revival that he's just looking for is not America, a nation under God again, but you and me revivals, personal revivals. That Second Chronicles 7.14 kind of thing. I believe we have some hope with these young people that came out and as the testimony of what God is doing in our young people's hearts. I, I love teenagers. I've been working with teenagers for a little over 20 years now, 25 years, I think. I, I have a hard time not letting somebody or letting someone else work with our teens because I just want to do it. I enjoy it too much. They're our hope. They're our future. I've got two seniors in our group of 12 that are with us. And these two young people are going to go to Bible Institute this fall at a small camp in California with a little over 20 students total. And they're going to get a lot of hands-on apprenticeship in working, learning how to work hard. Ephesians tells us in chapter 4, I believe it's verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but let, rather let him labor with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to them that needeth. It's not about getting, it's about giving. They're going to learn those things. They're going to learn what it is. What do you believe about the Bible? Well, my dad says, no, 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 no. I said, what do you believe about the Bible? Amen. Well, my mom and dad, our church, no, 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 no. I don't care what your church says. I don't care what your pastor says. What do you believe? I don't know what I believe. Well, let's figure it out. Let's get our nose in God's word. Let's get some understanding and some learning about the truth of God's word that it might become your belief. Amen. We're going to close now. Go to Psalm 78. Here's how we're going to do this, and I believe in my own heart, in my own life, this is a pattern. I have eight children, five boys, three girls, and in, in Utah, most people think I'm Mormon with uh, everything else, um, and I just say, nope, <laughs> we just enjoy children, <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. You can all go on and talk about whatever else you want to talk about, but you all know how they get here, and we know, <laughs> you know that we love them, and they're God's gift to us, and a blessing, and we're so thankful for them. Five boys, three girls, and as we have these children, I'm raising our, our family, our children, to hopefully follow in my footsteps. So if I could physically try to example this, as a father walking forward in life, I'm leading by every single thing that I do and say. It's not, it is not this kind of, excuse me for sitting in this chair if I'm not supposed to, um, it is not... Go and do as I say, leadership. That's not biblical whatsoever. It is not sitting down and saying, now you go and do that. Daddy needs to get up and say, let me show you, child, honey, sweetheart, son. Let's go show you how this is to be, how this is to be done. Lead our children because there's going to come a time as I'm leading. My son is 20, and all of a sudden there's a little bit of a, dad, I think this girl has caught my eye. 
I said, no, she hasn't. You need to just keep focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bachelor to the rapture, son. I told you that. <laughs> this is what's happening. My son's not so much behind me. He's coming alongside me. And we're talking like this more and more. Not like, come on, buddy. Let's go. Hold daddy's hand. And he kind of tags along this way. He's coming alongside me. There's going to come a point here real soon where this is real weird to say. But in, literally, I could be a, a grandfather in like five years. That's just not cool. That's not supposed to happen yet. <laughs> I don't believe you right now. <laughs> it is not going to be so cool in my book right now because I've got a five-year-old. I can't have a grandchild and a five-year-old. Anyways, I'm getting rabbit trails here. So anyways, my, my little boy that's five is following daddy with Aaron who's 20 and as Nathaniel watch and Daddy and Aaron come along, there's going to come a point where I'm going to continue to lead my other sons behind me. But Aaron's going to come out here, and I'm going to encourage him. You're doing good, son. You keep on going. You keep on following the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he needs help, he needs counsel, he needs encouragement, he needs whatever I can offer, I'm going to come alongside and, and encourage him because one day he's going to have a little boy. God willing, if that's what God has planned, and as he has that little boy, this is the principle that God's word gives us. How are we going to capture what your young people came home with? We need to practice the Psalm 78 principle of leadership. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard. And, and known, and our fathers have told us. This is nothing new I'm giving you tonight. There's probably far greater wisdom that you could have preached and taught to you by many other men in this very room than myself, because this is not brand new information. We've all heard, and we have all known these things. And he says in verse 4, We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come. Do you notice the grammar? And I'm horrible with grammar. I failed it in college and I just gave up. So I just speak United States of American. And verse number four, we will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come. Do you guys see how many generations we're starting to go down the line here? The children uh, which should come, the generation to come, the praises of the Lord. Let me tell you what God has done in Daniel's life. Let me tell you what God has done in daddy's life. Let me tell you what God has done in the Petraco's life. Let me tell you what God has done in this church in, in South Dakota that we didn't know nobody until we saw a big adopted family come together and the, the family of faith worship and praise God together. Let me show you what God has done. Why? His strength, his wonderful works that he's done for he's established a testimony and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded, did y'all see that word? Commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Amen. Guess what, Daddy? It's time for an altar call. It's time for you and I to get down on our hands and knees, and not for a public show, but privately before God and get real. Yes. Daniel didn't have Daddy or youth pastor or anybody else around when he was doing what he was doing in Daniel 6. He was he and God before King Darius. Faithful, praying as he did aforetime. We need to get along with God while nobody else is watching and say, God, help me to lead my children and make these things known to them. Verse 6, that the generation to come might 
know them, even the children which should be born. How many millions of children under our watch? Roe v. Wade came into play the year I was born. And I think about that all the time, that I could have been a statistic, but God has given me life. God has given me breath. God has given me a purpose. He's given me a call for his glory and his purpose so that the generation which should be born and while millions have been snuffed out over the cause of a, of a, a, a very liberal Babylonian agenda, we've sat here and watched. We've shook our heads and said, mm, that's terrible. What are we doing about it? Where are we standing in these things? Remember, our, our life is a manifestation of what you and I truly believe about abortion. Uh-oh, I just got personal. Our life is a manifestation of what we truly believe about conservatism and liberty and marriage. And men and women. It's real easy to say that in here, isn't it? I don't, say, I, don't, I don't want to say all that to say that we need to go out and get ugly. I don't see that testimony of one shred of that in Daniel or those other boys. But in this verse 7, look at this verse 7 and I'm all done. That they might set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. Do you still have hope tonight? If we have no hope, our children are hopeless. If you and I forget, they'll never know. And if we don't keep his commandments, I say this to our parents, what you and I enjoy in moderation, our children may grow to abuse in excess. There's a very, very plain principle. Then he starts to chew on the stubborn and rebellious generation in verse next. Those fathers, they were a stubborn and, gen and rebellious generation who set not their heart aright, and they forgot. Look at it all. God help us. There's hope. God is real. His word is true. It all works perfectly. In 1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have fellowship with the Father and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Light and dark don't get together. There is no fellowship when we, we are living that lie. Fellowship is a beautiful harmony of God's people with God. But when you and I are not walking with Him in light and we're lie, living a lie, it's all wood, hay, stubble. It's all those baseball games and all those other things that we like to waste our I'm saying it. I'm just calling myself on the carpet. All those are the things that we spend so much time. God help us. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of opening up your word. I pray that I would be forgotten very quickly and that your word would resonate and ring in our ears. And if need be, keep us awake on our pillows before we finally fall on our faces before you and take care of whatever we've been putting off since Sunday that we need to take care of tonight. We need to get ready to get right. We need to surrender. We might need to do it tonight a couple of times. We might need to do it again in the middle of the night. We might need to do it tomorrow morning. Paul buffeted his body. He died daily. It's not abnormal to have a struggle, a wrestling match to get right with God. 
We all know it. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But Lord, we need you. Without you, we can do nothing. And I pray for you to give us the right spirit and faithfulness as a testimony so that we might see some for Christ's sake and that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. And we thank you and praise you for these things, Pastor.